Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. You guys, I can't really see you great because of the lights, but I'm sure you look really good in your team colors if you're wearing team colors. Some of you today, like you're just realizing that there's a football game tonight. You weren't sure, you didn't know, you're not a big sports fan. Uh, but I, I'm going for the Bucks tonight. That's who I hope wins, even though they're not in it anymore. They're playing. I, I hope their golf game goes really good today, or fishing. I hope they catch a big fish, because they're not playing in the Super Bowl. Uh, but we won't talk about that, because the 49ers aren't either, and I know that, that makes a few people sad in this room as well. Uh, so let's just knock those Rams out, so that you know, we can be done with them. Uh, but we're about to dive into uh, another part of our series on Joshua. But before we do, uh, we have something to celebrate that's actually coming up next week. Uh, you guys know, if, if you call City Walk home, that we're a, about a three-year-old church, so we're still kind of a toddler ourselves. But we have been, uh, over the past couple years, we have committed ourselves to help plant other churches uh, locally, but also in the western United States. And next weekend, Justin and Lacey McKay, who were, Justin was with us a few months back, are planting, having their first service in Denver, Colorado. They're planting uh, their church, it's actually called the local church, and they're having their very first service next week. And so we're super excited about that. want to encourage you to pray for them. Uh, several of us are actually going to go out there and be a part of their first service with them. And so it's, it's exciting to see like, hey, we, we got something going on here, but then we're able because of your generosity to help other churches do a very similar thing in another part of the country. And so we're celebrating that and we'll continue to, we'll keep you up to date on how that goes. So you guys know, obviously, I've already referred to it, that today's the day in American sports that two groups of people get really excited and anxious the Cincinnati Bengal fans and the LA Ram fans are those people this year. For the rest of us, we're going to enjoy the Super Bowl without stress. We're going to not be nervous. We're going to enjoy the food. We're, our, our blood pressure is not going to go up very much. And we're probably going to sleep pretty good tonight because our team isn't in it. And like I said earlier, for some of you, you could care less. I mean, you literally are just finding out that tonight there's a football game on, or actually this afternoon, we're on the West Coast. But, but yeah, so for you, maybe you're like, man, so who, who's in the game tonight? And, and for you, maybe you choose your favorite team and kind of who you want to win by, like, I like their uniform more. And so tonight, you'll be with somebody watching the game, and you won't know much about the game, but you'll be like, oh, I like blue better, so I'm going for the Rams tonight. Or, oh, I like the Bengals color, so I'll, I'll go for those. Or, that, that quarterback's a little cuter than that quarterback, so I'm going to vote for, you know, go for them. And maybe that's how you decide, because... You can care less about sports. In our culture, and because of the culture that we live in, even if you don't like sports, 
You, you know a little bit about it. You, you probably, over the last few years, even if you're not into it, you've gone to a few games because you have some people that you really love that play sports. And so you go and you try to pay attention and you, you try to cheer. You're not really sure what's going on, but, but you go because of the people there and just because of our culture. But even if you don't like sports, even if you're not a passionate sports fan, if I was to ask you, hey, so what, what do you think makes a good football player? Even if you're not a fan of football, even if you could care less about sports, you probably would have an answer. Maybe you'd say, you know what, I, I think they probably should be big. I think football players are big from what I've seen, and so they, maybe they should be big, uh, uh, probably fast. They, I, I think they have to run pretty fast, so they need to be fast. Oh, and they, they probably should know how to tackle people. And so, yeah, you'd say, yeah, I, could, I kind of have a, a picture of what a football player should look like. Or maybe if I said, hey, what about, what does a good baseball player look like? What should a baseball player have? And you might say, hey, they need to be able to throw accurately, or, or they need to have good hand-eye coordination. I've heard that hitting a baseball is kind of hard, and, and so you, you'd probably have an opinion on that. Again, even if you don't like sports, you would probably have an opinion, and, and, we, and we do this in, in every area of life. It, we, we do this in every area of life, even if we're not involved. If I was to say, hey, what do you, what do you think makes a good teacher? You, you would say, well, I even if you've never been a teacher, you'd say, you know, two or three things. Or if I said, hey, what does a good policeman do? Or what is, what is somebody that's a nurse? What, what do they need to be good at? Or what a, a, a salesman, what is a salesman? What skills do they have to have? You, just like I would, even if you've never been involved, even if you've never done that job, you would have an opinion. You've, you would have an opinion based on who you know and your experiences. In my line of work, there's an area that, that I see this a lot. I see this play out in the church. Even if you're not a person of faith, and maybe you're here, you're watching online, and you're just even investigating faith, maybe you're not even sure why you're here, maybe you've been burnt by the church in the past, and you're kind of trying this thing one more time. If I was to ask you, what does a good Christian look like, and what do they do, you would probably have an opinion. You, you, would have, you would be able to list for me, even if you don't buy into the whole Christian thing or the Jesus thing, or you're not even sure what you believe about faith, if I was to say, what does a good Christian look like, you probably would tell me. Or what does a good Christian do and not do, you probably have a list that you, you would say, all right, here's the things I think they're supposed to do, and, and here's a few things I know they're not supposed to do. And, and based on your upbringing and based on some of your experiences, you, you would have an opinion. Even if it wasn't the right opinion, even if it was wrong, we would all be able to answer that question. In fact, for some of you, maybe you're watching online, in fact, for some of you, this may be the very thing that has kept you from following Jesus. Because in your mind, you don't look the part. You haven't got everything in your life figured out yet. I mean, you don't even want to talk about your past. And so for you, you don't even think you would fit in and you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to do the list and the not do list. And so for you, it might, might be why you've kind of maybe even straight armed Jesus. And like, I don't, I don't even know if God would want me. And Here's what's sad, and, and I, don't doubt, I don't down you for thinking that because you think that because of probably how somebody treated you 
or what someone said to you to make you feel that way. But there's only one problem. That person wasn't representing Jesus. Whatever they told you to feel like, you know what, I don't fit the part, or I don't know if God would want me, or I have to get everything in my life fixed before I can kind of start this faith thing, whoever told you that or whoever treated you badly, let me apologize for them because that's not what represents Jesus. Because all throughout the scriptures, when Jesus is involved in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament, it's filled with stories of real people that had real struggles. Some of them had horrific past, and God in his great love, in spite of all of that, invaded their life and transformed them, despite their past, despite the list they didn't keep or did keep, God invaded their life. And in Joshua chapter 2, is one of those places where you see God invade the life of somebody that in most churches wouldn't even be welcomed. See, in Joshua chapter 2, we're going to learn about a lady by the name of Rahab, and we're going to talk about some characters, they just call them the priest. And to give you a little bit of background, just to bring you up to speed, Joshua is a guy who was born into slavery. His nation was slaves of Egypt. And so he was born into slavery. His dad was born into slavery. His granddad was born. That's all they knew. And then sometime probably when Joshua was in his 20s or 30s, this guy named Moses comes on the scene and and he delivers the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And Moses delivers them. And he actually asked Joshua to be his assistant. And so for, for several years... Joshua is Moses' assistant, and he, he leads them out of Egypt, and he leads them to what the scriptures call the promised land. It's a land that God had promised Israel hundreds of years earlier, and Moses was to deliver them from the promised land. Let me show you this map. I showed you this last week. So this is where uh, kind of Egypt was, and this is where they were, and this is where they had to go. This is where the promised land was. So you can kind of see there, there's this red line that kind of shows you their route. This should have taken about 11 days. So, we're, I mean, they didn't have airplanes, obviously, back then. So they were going to walk this thing, you know, ride things, ride animals. And so it should have taken them about 11 days. Well, it took them 40 years. So that's super frustrating, I'm sure. It took them 40 years, and so Joshua was a part of this whole thing. He saw, he saw Moses deliver them, and man, we're on our way to the promised land. What should have taken 11 days, man, even for slow people, a couple weeks. 40 years later, they're wandering in the wilderness, still haven't gotten to the promised land. And now Moses goes off the scene. He dies And Joshua's handed the leadership of this nation that's almost 2 million people. And his very first kind of act, the most important thing that he needs to do is he's the one that's going to take them from where they are to actually enter that promised land. He's the one that has to do it. And so here's what he does. He sends out some scouts. 
Just like, just like today, we got the Super Bowl, and, and both teams, man, they have scouted each other. They have watched all the film. They have sent people to watch. They know what's going on. And so Joshua says, hey, we're about to enter this promised land. We're about to enter Jericho, and man, we're going to have to fight to enter it. And so I want to send a few guys out to kind of find out a little bit about the other team. And so that's what he does. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove saying, go and scout the land, especially Jericho. Go, go check out, man. Look at their quarterback. See how big their offensive line is. Go, go find out about these guys. And so they did. And, and it says this. And this is where it's like, ooh, well, that's kind of interesting. It says this. So they left and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. It's like they, they get to Jericho, and it's like Holiday Inn, nah. Hampton, nah. I, like, I don't like the breakfast there. Oh, Rahab the prostitute's house. Let's go stay there. And they weren't, they weren't going to Rahab's house for services. They, they were going there because they thought, man, this was a strategic place that no one would guess were here. Her house was probably up on the wall. So they could go, they could kind of hide out, they could use that place as a place to kind of scout out the city, and then if they needed to escape quickly, they could do it. And so that's kind of why they stayed there, and that's what they were thinking. And verse 2 says, it didn't go as planned. It said, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelite men have come here to investigate the land. They tried to stay under the radar, and it didn't work out. So the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. And so they're busted. So they come, they, they're staying at Rahab's house. They're investigating the land. King finds out about them. He goes to Rahab. All right, come clean. Tell me about these guys. And, and why wouldn't Rahab? I mean, what does she have for these like guys but she doesn't. She doesn't rat them out. It says this. So she said, yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out and I didn't know where they were going. Chase after them quickly. I mean, like, hey, they, they, they didn't leave. It wasn't that long ago. Go find them. Chase after them quickly and you can catch them. And that's exactly what the guy said. Oh, okay, Rahab, we'll do what you said. And they, they go looking. And so here's the question. Why would she do this? Like, why would a woman who lived the type of life that Rahab lived even care about God's people, let alone put herself on the line to help them? And maybe the bigger question is this. Why would God choose the city prostitute to play such an important role in the story of Israel? Like, come on, God, there's a lot like cleaner people that fit the story better. Why, why are you going to use the city prostitute? But, but, but that's exactly what God did. It. And God never endorsed her lying, but he, 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 you see later in Scripture, what was so important about Rahab was her faith. And you see her faith, you're like, a prostitute's faith? You see her faith in her very next kind of conversation with these guys that are hiding out at her house. Joshua, the, the writer, he kind of lets us in on this conversation. It says this, verse 8, Before the men fell asleep, 
she went up on the roof, so that's where she had hidden them, and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. She, here's, here's Rahab saying, your God is doing something. Your God is different than our God. Your God seems to be fighting for you. We, we know, even though we hate this, even though obviously we don't want you to invade our land, we know your God is doing something. And then it says, says this, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea 40 years earlier. She's like, we, we've heard what happened 40 years ago. We know about your God. We, we, we are scared. It terrifies us. This is Red Sea before you, before, you, or before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings, you completely destroyed. I mean, we, we, we've heard the stories. We, we know the miracles your God has done. Verse 11. When we heard this, we lost heart. Literally, our hearts melted. Like we've, we've heard about how your God has just been working for you and taking care of you and doing miracles for you. We've heard the stories and we know this is your land. We know he's given it to you and it terrifies us. Literally inside our hearts are melting like wax and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on earth below. See, God was at work in Rahab's life. And she understood that the God of Israel was different. He, he was different than the idols that her people and her culture worshipped. This was a different God. And so it says this. In verse 12, she says, now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family because I, because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. She, she says, I, I know our days are numbered. There's nothing that's going to stop this. I know it's con you, you guys are coming. But here's what I would ask. Is that you would spare me and the people that I love most. And she says, you got to give me a sign. And so the guy said, okay, we'll do it. We'll, 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 we'll take care of you. You've taken care of us. We'll take care of you. And so they said, hey, I want you to gather your loved ones. I want you to gather your family. I want you to put, they need to stay in your house. And then what I want you to do is I want you to hang a red rope outside of your window. And when we come to take this land, we will spare you and everyone in that house. And after they had this conversation, she helped them escape, and they went back to Joshua to report. And it says this, they went to Joshua, son of Nun, and reported everything that had happened to them. They told Joshua, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone who lives in the land is also panicking because of us. See, 40 years earlier, Joshua had been a part of a group of spies that Moses had sent into the land. And, and when he sent those spies into the land 40 years earlier, 10 of those spies came back and said, no way, those people are giants. They're, they're crazy. Why would God do this to us? 
And Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that said, no, 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 no. We, we've got this. God's given us this. This is no problem. God did this. We're going to go take this. And so because of the, the, the ten spies who said, no, we're afraid, all the people followed them. And that's why they, for 40 years, they had to stay in the wilderness. And all those people died except for Caleb and Joshua. All the people that doubted. And so now Joshua has sent two spies and they come back and they're not talking about the obstacles. They're not talking about, oh, we can't do this. Here's what they're saying. It's over. It's taken. They're afraid of us. Let's go. And so that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they did. Joshua chapter 3, it says this. Joshua, he started early the next morning. He's like, it is on. Let's go. We're not going to wait. Let's go. He says, Joshua, he started early the next morning. He left Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. Then he went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before the crossing. Because they were, they were literally camped. Imagine this. They were camped on one edge of the Jordan River. And on the other side of the Jordan River was the promised land that they were to take. They could probably see Jericho. They could see all of this. And so they they camped there, and after three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, carried by the Levitical priest, you are to break camp and follow it. See, the Ark, it it symbolized God's presence. And so all the the officers, they they run through the, the city, and they say, hey, guys, be watching, listen up. Stay focused. He says, hey, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, start to move. Get ready. Get all your stuff and start to follow it. Don't don't get up too close to it, but let the the Ark of the Covenant that the priests are carrying, it's going to be your sign to start moving. And so be aware, be watchful, but keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the Ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go. For you haven't traveled this way before. This is all new. You, you haven't done this. You, uh, your ancestors were afraid to do this. But now it's time. We're about to go into this promised land. We're about to take this. But we need to follow God as we go. Because your ancestors didn't follow God. They veered from God and it, it didn't go well for them. So follow God. And so it says this. Joshua told the people consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. This word consecrate, it means to set apart. Joshua says, he's basically saying, he's saying, I want you to set yourself apart from sin, from doubt, from distractions. I want you to get your heart ready Because God is about to do a miracle and you cannot be tied down to these distractions. Set yourself apart. See, for some of us, we have to get out of the trash can to experience the palace. And basically, that's what Joshua was saying. He's saying, hey, you, you, you get rid of, you, you, you got to get, get rid of this stuff. You got to set yourself apart because God, God wants to do something special. God has some blessing for you. He's got a promised land for you, but you have to set yourself apart from these things that are holding you back because when we move, we're leaving that stuff. We're going to what God has for us. Set yourself apart. 
Jeremiah, he said it this way. He said, hey, leave the mud and go to the fountain. He said, hey, don't be playing in the broken cisterns and in the mud that you're playing in all that. You got to leave that to go to the fountain, the blessing that God has for you. It's not always easy, the blessing, and doesn't mean it's like, hey, we're, it's, everybody's going to be great all the time, but it's God's best. And in order to have God's best, you got to leave and set yourself apart from distractions. It's, and so here's what happened. Here's, here's the problem. You can put the, that map up. So, so they're all like, Joshua's like leading the way, getting the crowd excited. All right, get ready. We're about to go. But there's only one problem. Like between us and where we're supposed to go is a river. And this river, it's, it's not normally a huge river. It's not normally a crazy, you know, but in this season, during this part of the year, the river is overflowing. It's flooded because of the spring rain and because of the snow melt. And so now this river that usually is probably manageable is not manageable. The, the banks are flooded over. It's, this is like, you can't just like, hey, let's just two million people. Let's get on a raft and kind of make our way. You can't do it. Yeah, you can start. You can try. And you're going to lose a lot of those two million people. It's not going to go well. And so, you know, Joshua's like, rah, rah. Everybody's excited. But all the skeptics in the room are like, but you know, there's still a river in between us. That something, you know, we got to do something about that. And they weren't around when God had parted the Red Sea. So, I mean, yeah, we've heard of that, but there's still a river. And, and so here's what God told Joshua. He said, Joshua, I want you to prepare the priest to lead the way. Prepare the priest. Go get go with the priests, the guys that are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And I want them to lead the way through the river. See, the priest, and in our context, in our religious context, this sounds right. Like, God, I'm not sure using a prostitute fits the story, but, you know, having the priest lead the way, that seems right. That seems to fit, you know, the religious narrative. It's like tonight. Tonight, before the Super Bowl, the teams are going to be introduced, and they're going to run out on the fields. And, and when they run out on the field tonight, man, here's what you expect to see. You expect to see some dudes that are in the best shape of their life, like peak condition, ready to play. If tonight when they introduce the teams, a bunch of seven-year-olds take the field, I mean, they might be able to beat the Detroit Lions, but they're not winning the Super Bowl. I mean, you would look at them like, this just doesn't fit the story. Like, what are seven-year-olds doing running on the field to play in the Super Bowl? This doesn't fit. And that's kind of how we look at, at the story of Rahab. It's like, I don't get it. Why would God use her? She doesn't fit. Oh, the priest. Now, that seems a little bit better. That's the guys that you should use. And, and, and here's what God's showing us in this story, that God invades the lives of priests and prostitutes in the scriptures. And he actually, for, for these two people, they actually, the priest and the prostitutes had to come to the same conclusion to follow God. They had to answer the same questions. So look with me at, before I tell you the questions, look with me at what happens. It says this, this is where the priest, man, I, I was, I'm feeling for the priest a little bit. It says this, when the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord 
of the whole earth come to rest in the Jordan's water, its water will be cut off. The water flowing downstream will stand up in mass. And so you're like, well, that sounds good. That really does. That sounds cute, God. I think we remember a story about 40 years ago where something like this happened. But I'm one of, you know, if I'm one of the priests, it's like, but I still got to walk into the middle of this thing. And so, yeah, I, I remember hearing a story about this, and it would be cool if this happened, but I'm the one that still has to walk through the middle. And so it says, when the, when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant ahead of the people. Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest. And so imagine being one of those priests. You're like a hundred yards away, you're carrying your, your deal, and you're like 50 yards. You're like, all right, God, anytime now. You could, you could start this thing. We could at least let me see some movement, God. Come on. You're getting like about 15 yards out. And it's like, come on. I mean, we are 50. Come on, God. And then you are literally at the bank of this rushing river, ark in hand, nothing's happened yet. And so you, you close your eyes like on a roller coaster that you're afraid of. You just kind of close your eyes and take a step, hoping that something happens. And it says this, the scripture says this, but as soon as the priest carrying the ark reached the Jordan River, their feet touched the water at its edge. And look what happens. And the water flowing downstream stood still, rising up in mass that extended as far as Adam, a city next to Zarethan. So literally, God, he, he didn't go early. He didn't come too late. Literally, when their, when their foot stepped out and it touched the water, the water separated. The water separated and these, these guys stood and walked on dry ground. It says this, in verse 17, the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. And some of them were like, I knew God was going to do this. I had this. I wasn't nervous. Really, they probably were. Uh, but, but they stood on dry ground. And it says, uh, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation, two million people strong, had finished crossing. So imagine this. Imagine what that must have been like. Imagine what it must have been like to, to be one of those priests carrying the ark. You know you're like supposed to be the leader, that other people are looking at you, but you're nervous because, man, there's a river. And, and you step into it, and as soon as your you know, edge of your foot touches it, man, the water parts, and you, you go to the middle of the river and you stand there for, for what would have been hours, because we're two million people got across, and you're not standing in muddy. It's not muddy. God didn't like half do it. You're standing on dry ground, and for several hours, you're looking down the way at water that God has stopped, because you were willing to step into the water and do what he said. What, what it must have been like, as you stood there for several hours and just looked at that water and, and just thought, God did what he said he was going to do. God was faithful. And what a picture. Because you, you got to stand there for a while. And you, you watch all those families and little kids and grandmas and grandpas. And you watch that, that whole thing 
like move forward and, and all those people cross and, and they're so they're not afraid, they're excited, they're rejoicing. And you just are reminded that God came came through. God showed up. God did what he said. Imagine a few weeks later what Rahab must have felt like as she gathered her family in her home. And she, she hung that cord outside of her window. And outside of her doors, the battle raged on. And her city, as, as they were in this home, her city was being destroyed. All the while, she and the people she loved the most were safe inside. And when the battle was over, when, when everything had settled down, her family were welcomed into the extended family of the nation of Israel. What must have Rahab felt like as she saw her family saved because of her faith? See, we, we said this a little bit earlier, but God is in the business of invading people's lives, no matter their past, no matter their current struggles. See, He's not waiting for someone to check all the boxes. He's not waiting. Hey, once you get those seven boxes checked, I'm, I'm here for you. He, he's not waiting for you to check all the boxes, or he's not waiting for you to stop doing these five things, or hey, can you get your, your past cleaned up a little bit so you don't embarrass me? He's not waiting for that. He, he's, he's ready to invade the life of the priest and the prostitute. He's ready to invade the life of the pothead and the Sunday school kid. He's ready to invade the life of the religious and the non-religious. He is in the business of invading people's lives and transforming them, no matter who they are or what they've done. And he simply asks two questions. When, when he invades someone's life, he asks two questions, the same two questions that Rahab and the priest had to answer. And the first question, it's like, this is not rocket science, but the first question is simply this, do you believe me? Do you believe me? Hey, Rahab, do you believe me? Hey, hey priest, do, do you believe me? Now, several thousand years later, he would look at us and say, hey, do you believe me? Do you believe that my way is best? Do you believe that I am good? Do you believe that I love you? Do you believe I am who I say I am? Do you believe me? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16 says it this way. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I don't think that's the right verse, but I'll, let me read it to you again. That's not the right verse on the screen, but I'll, I'll read it to you. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So he asked this question, hey, Rahab, do you believe me? Hey, hey, priest, do you believe me? Do you believe I am who I said I am? Do you believe, really believe that my way is best, that I am good, that I am for you? Do you believe me? But then the second question is this, will you obey me? Will you obey me? Like, hey, priest, will you step? Will you step into the water? Will, will you take that first step? Will you obey? 
Hey, 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 Rahab, will you hang the red cord out of your window? See, as I work in you, this is kind of God, as I work in you, you will move away from things that don't please me and move towards things that are healthy if you're really obeying me. Will you obey me? Will you love people I put in your path? Will you do things my way? Will you obey? Two questions. Do you believe me and will you obey me? And then here's the thing. You really can't choose one of the two. You either have to not do both or you have to do both. And here's what I mean. For some people, and maybe you're in that spot right now, you try to obey God, but you don't. And you're, man, you struggle to obey God and you get frustrated and maybe you face consequences and you, man, you, you, you want to, you say, I want to obey God. I need to do things God's way. But, but you find yourself continually struggling. And here's probably the problem. You want to obey God, but you don't believe God. And you can't not believe that God's way is best. And you can't not believe God is who he says he is and obey him. And here's what's even more scary. Even more damaging and more scary is when we go through the obey God motions and we actually try to obey God. And we actually do a pretty good job on the outside. We can go through the motions and look really obedient. But inside, we don't really believe God. So it's just an act. And we get bitter, we get legalistic, we get prideful. We look down on other people that can't obey God as good as us. Because we're obeying God out of our own flesh and we're going through the motions, but we don't really believe him. And so we find ourselves legalistic and proud and sometimes bitter. And usually what happens to a lot of people like that is either they walk away from the church or because of them, many other people walk away from the church. It's just kind of how it goes. See, for Rahab, she had as checkered a past as anybody. I mean, you, you look at her resume, it was not lining up with, hey, yeah, this is probably somebody that God would love to use. She, her past was checkered, but God chose to invade her life for his purposes. She believed God, she obeyed God, and her life was transformed. And here's what's awesome. Sometimes if you grew up in church and you ever tried to read through the whole Bible, I hope you have. I hope you tried that. And I hope you do that. It's a good thing to do. But usually when you read through the whole Bible, there's a few places that kind of, I'm not going to say, I shouldn't say this as a pastor, but you probably felt this. It's kind of boring. Like, okay, Old Testament, there's a couple of chapters that are like, so-and-so begat so-and-so. They lived 800 years and died. So-and-so begat so It's like a family tree. And you, you think, maybe you've even skipped over those sections. Like, I'm, nobody will know. I'll look at the page, but I won't read everything. And, and then you get to things like Matthew and, and, and some of the Gospels. And, and the very first chapter of some of the Gospels are genealogies. And you're like, eh, I'll read that later. Let me get to the good stuff. Let me, let me skip over that. Well, let me tell you why you should read the genealogy. Because if you don't read the genealogy, you're not going to see that Rahab the prostitute is actually in the family tree of Jesus Christ. That Rahab the prostitute is actually the great-great-grandma of King David. 
What? God, wouldn't you want to keep a clean family tree? Like, let's keep all the characters out because, I mean, you are God. Or, or would it be that God wants to say, hey, even in my family tree, even in, in the, the, the people that ended up having, making Joseph, who was my dad, and Mary, who was my mom, there was messed up people with past and ugliness. But even in my family tree, I want the world to know I invade the lives of messed up people and I transform them. And their ashes become beautiful because of what I've done for them. And that's what happened to Rahab. So no matter where you find yourself today, here's what God's saying. Will you believe me and will you obey me? But what about my past? What about I can't check, I haven't been able to check all the boxes or, will you believe and will you obey today? That's what God's asking. Let's bow our heads. As we close our our kind of time together with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're somebody and you'd say, Chris, I'm I'm a follower of Jesus. There's been a time in my life, maybe you're watching online and you would say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've, I've followed Jesus. Maybe, for, maybe you made that decision a few weeks ago. Maybe you made that decision to follow Jesus, man, a long time ago. And you would say, man, I, I believed the gospel. Like, I believed that Jesus came, that he died on the cross for my sin, that he rose from the grave. I believed that. But you would, if you're honest, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're honest... You'd say, man, I, I believed him on that, but I struggle to believe him from day to day. Do you struggle to believe God? Just in the, in the quietness of this room, as you think about your own life. Do you struggle to believe, maybe you struggle to believe that God's way is best, because maybe some things in your life haven't gone well. And so if you're honest, it's like, man, I've, I've just been struggling. Maybe you struggle to believe that God loves you. Even though you know that mentally and intellectually, you wake up feeling guilty because of something that happened years ago. And, and, and you, for you, it just you still struggle to believe that. Maybe for you, it's, you, you struggle to believe when God says, seek ye first my kingdom. You say, yeah, I know that's what the Bible says, but man, it's, I, just, I struggle to believe that God will take care of me if I really do that. What do you struggle to believe? Maybe you don't struggle to believe anything. If you don't, write a book so you can help all of us, because we do. What do you struggle to believe? Maybe you're a teenager. Maybe you're a young adult. Maybe you're grandma, grandpa. What do you struggle to believe? And, And here's what I would encourage you to do. I'd encourage you to do two things. Tell God. Well, I don't want to tell God what I don't believe about him. God, he already knows. So go ahead and tell him. The scripture says in James that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So just be honest. God, I struggle to believe you in this area. Just tell him. And then tell someone else. Tell somebody who isn't God. Hey, friend. Hey, family member. Hey, someone who loves me or cares for me. Hey, would you pray for me and encourage me because I'm struggling to believe God and and you tell him. Maybe you're here and you 
don't know Jesus. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're listening to a podcast. And for you, it's, man, you, you haven't take the, taken that first step of believing God and starting a relationship with him. And I get it. That's a big step. Well, you can do that today in the quietness of this room or wherever you're watching or listening to this. You can do that. See, God loved you so much that he sent his son to invade earth. To, to take your sin and my sin on himself and to pay for that sin on the cross. And then three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, defeating death and defeating sin so that you and I could have a relationship with God and a home in heaven. And I get it. That's a lot to believe. But I, I would encourage you today, step over the line. Just in the quietness of this room or wherever you're at, just step over the line and believe. Just tell God right now in the quietness of your heart, just say, God, I, I know I've messed up. I, I admit I've sinned. I admit I haven't believed you. Tell him. Tell him, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and that he rose from the grave. And then just invite Invite God. God, I want that relationship with you. Come into my life. Transform me. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if this morning, whether you're online or you're here this morning, if you made a decision for Christ, would you take that decision card that's right in front of you and you just tell us about your decision? You can just tell us what decision you made. Put it in the offering box on the way out. And we just want to pray for you. We want to give you a call and just check in on you, see how you're doing, see if you have any questions. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc and you can find that card there as well. We just want to connect with you. Lord, I, I thank you for the incredible example of Rahab and the priest. Lord, you, you didn't have to use Rahab. You could have used somebody that had a much cleaner past and a much cleaner life. But in your sovereignty, you chose to use the city prostitute. And Lord, I pray that we would, like Rahab and like the priest, that we would believe you and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.